eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own? Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the Jill on Money podcast. It is Thursday, October 28th, and we are trying to get this darn show in the can. We've had a myriad of technical difficulties, not on our part, but just using certain wonderful software programs that we love that seem to be a little funky. It must be the rain, Mark. It could be. Maybe it is weather related. It could be gremlin related. You know, there are some days you wake up and there's just there's just nothing good going on in your computer. Something has happened and it requires you to actually manage this process yourself. Unless you work at like a big company, you have actually an IT department. But I don't know. I just, I think that there are some days where things are just a little hinky. And that's one of these days. And yet we persist, Mark. We do. This is the program that attempts to answer your financial questions. If you have one, go to our website, jillonmoney.com, and click on the contact button. While you're there, you might as well just bookmark it. That way you can always go back to it and send us a note when you do have a question, okay? There are all sorts of other things you can do on that website. You can read articles, you can listen to past shows, you can subscribe to our sister broadcast, Eye on Money. If you want to hear Mark's voice, it's all about that on Eye on Money. Mark is the co-host of that show. So um, just check it out, jillonmoney.com. Lots of good stuff there. So Mark, I'm going to do some emails because otherwise you're going to get mad that things are piling up. How many emails are in the inbox right now? Would you estimate? So there's a couple thousand messages in our inbox. When we interviewed um, wonderful author researcher Cal Newport, he took Mark off the off of the hook. He find Mark finally forgave himself for not answering every single email within 30 seconds. It's very good for you, Mark. I hope I can learn it someday. Uh, let's see what Kimberly in Baltimore has to say. She writes. Hello, Jill and Mark. For the last few years, I have been maxing out my IRA and converting it to a Roth before investing the funds. For the last two years, my husband has been doing the same. 
He has a traditional 401k at work and his contributions are limited to 5% because he's a highly compensated employee. That always sucks, by the way. If you work for a small company, that, that can happen. Okay. So Kimberly's husband receives an employer match on two and a half percent. He also has a solo 401k and contributes all of his consulting earnings and the employer match to that. That's great. Okay. So in a typical year, three, four thousand dollars in the solo total value of retirement accounts, 370,000 of that 65,000 is Roth. Kimberly doesn't have an employer sponsored retirement plan. Okay. So here's the nut. I'm anxious that if the backdoor Roth becomes a strategy that we cannot use, where can we save for retirement? Would we be limited to a taxable brokerage account in this case? We have no other debt than our mortgage. We're saving 20 to 25% of our income each month. Well, I mean, look, I guess that first of all, you, you know, you can do what you can do. And so don't get too nutty and anxious about this. You can always put money into a non-deductible IRA. That is always open to you. It's just that it doesn't become a Roth IRA without the back door, right? But you could do that and do the brokerage account. And maybe you can try to see if the company would potentially consider doing a different kind of retirement plan. My guess is not. So I don't know, Kimberly, I don't want you to be anxious because this is something that's completely out of your control. Am I missing anything there, Mark? Maybe if you have, does he have a... um a health savings account, an HSA available. That's another way to save some money, I guess. If there is an HSA available, use it. If there is no other alternative, then use a brokerage account, use low-cost funds, watch your tax liability in that account, and just do the best you can do. But, you know, gang, look, there is is not a lot that anyone is going to be able to do if certain tax maneuvers become impossible or or change. You just have to deal with what what comes at you. Okay. Now, Jan says she listens to the podcast. She thanks us for our advice. And she says, I'd like to roll over all of my after-tax contributions in my 401k to a Roth IRA and all the associated earnings to a traditional IRA. Got that, Mark? I don't think that's happening either. I don't think you can do this. I'm not sure that this is possible. The balance of the 401k is $100,000. The after-tax contribution is $10,000. The earning from the after-tax is three. I can roll over 10 to a Roth IRA, three grand to a traditional IRA without tax impact. I don't know if you can do this. I mean, first of all, are you leaving the firm that you work, right? Because isn't that part of the issue that if it's an active 401k, you definitely can't do this unless the company allows it. So here's what I would say. You're going to have to go to some plan person, someone at the 401k to see if they can actually pull the money out and really differentiate the money that went in. I don't know if they're going to be able to do it so that you're going to need the plan spot, current plan sponsor, and then you got to figure out where you're going to roll it to and ask them for help. We don't know the the actual answer on this, but I think it's going to require both sides to be on the same page with it, right? I don't know why she wants to do it. Maybe, I mean, that's why I'm thinking that maybe she's leaving. You know what? Be careful with this and um, lots of diligence in in making this whole process work for you. Andrea's father died a few years back and she writes that he left her some stock. And she said, the bank I owned shares of was changing from an S-corp to a C-corp 
and were not paying dividends for four years. I held out for two years, but I sold it recently. I now have, oh my God, (laughs) she now has $800,000 sitting in a very low interest account, 59 years old. And she was living on the income from these bank dividends. So Andrea, you need some help and you're not lost. She says the subject was inheritance I'm lost because now what we need to do is figure out whether or not you can generate enough dividends or income from this $800,000 to cover your needs. And I'm betting that you're going to be able to do that. But if you're lost, I think you might need some help. And I don't know what other assets you have. So I hazard to get you on this like one track of, okay, do this, 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 because I'm not sure. If you're looking for some overall financial help, you could certainly go to a financial advisor. You could go to the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors and get some help there. You can go to, um, on the other end of the spectrum, use a robo-advisor and try to get some help there, um, maybe from Betterment or Vanguard or uh, Schwab. They all have components and fidelity. And you may want to check out uh, the sponsor of our radio show, Facet Wealth. They have dedicated advisors. You can check that out. But Essentially, Andrea, we know you need help. We just don't know exactly the right kind of help to um, recommend for you because we don't have enough information about you and who you are. So, okay. George has a lump sum slash annuity question. And George writes, I will be retiring early at age 58 in January of 2022 with an increased golden parachute pension from a major U.S. insurance company. (gasps) So excited about this. Mark, get me one of these. I have two pensions at the company, a defined benefit and a defined contribution, both funded by the company alone. I can take either or both as a lump sum or an annuity. Okay. The defined benefit, that's like more of the traditional pension plan, $825,000 or a 50% joint and survivor annuity of $45,000 a year. The defined contribution plan, $422,000 or a 50% joint and survivor annuity of $21,000 a year. In addition, we have $2.2 million in IRAs. 90% pre-tax, invested 70-30. There's also $350,000 in cash, no debt, two homes that are worth together $850,000. My wife plans to work a couple of more years as a per diem nurse making about $35,000 or $40,000 a year. At 67, my social security will be $35,000 a year. My wife, who is one year older, will collect social security of $19,000 a year. Current spending is about 80 grand after taxes. Okay. Here's the thing. This is really interesting because I love someone who knows himself. George says, I like the idea of some guaranteed income. So should I annuitize just the defined benefit, use my wife's income and our cash until social security or annuitize both pensions, run um, an overage and guaranteed income when social security kicks in with the understanding that taxes and inflation will eventually eat the overage, then draw from the assets. Two grown children, self-sufficient, but we would like to leave something to them to help fund 
grandkids' education, your thoughts. You know, George, I think there's one thing that Mark and I have been talking about ever since we got this kind of a question. And I had talked to um, our friend, Michael Goodman, who is a certified financial planner and a CPA also. And we talked about annuitizing. And one thing that he raised as an issue is that once you annuitize, you could potentially lose the control of that asset to pass down a generation. So could we make this work, Mark, where he takes the $21,000 a year, right, for the defined contribution, has some cash, but also starts to pull money out of that IRA, 401k, and starts paying taxes on it before Social Security kicks in. I mean, the thing is, Mark and I are looking at this and he's, Mark's saying, you're going to have some major required minimum distribution. So we're wondering, you know, you've got some time here, right? You are young, right? You're 58 and you probably have seven or eight years before you start pulling the Social Security, right? At 67, so seven, eight nine years, wouldn't it be kind of good for you to start pulling the money out of the retirement account, making that tax payment that is due? I know it's a drag, but you know, you're still making, you know, you're going to be making money and the numbers are going to be much bigger when you start pulling money out of your actual RMDs and you're going to have social security. So your income is going to be pretty high. And as I look at this, if you could be paying tax on the RMDs at the 22 or 24% rate, that might work for you. So I think that that would be my goal. It would give you some consistent income. And then we could, you can roll the defined benefit into your rollovers, but you could start pulling some money out of those accounts and use some of the cash to pay the tax due. I think that, I think I'd like that. Give us a holler if not, you know, if you have another way of thinking about this or you think that we've missed something, okay? This is a note from Frank. This is an essay and I apologize. (laughs) Good. I love your show and I thought you might be able to provide level-headed, unbiased opinions. I'm 32. I'm single. I just closed on my first house. It was listed for $180,000. I paid $187,000. I put 5% down. I had no issues getting pre-approved for a mortgage. My credit rating is 820. My monthly mortgage is approximately $1,200, 3% fixed for 30 years. So far, so good. I make about $80,000 a year. I have $225,000 saved in my 401k and Roth 401k. I currently contribute 15% into my company after tax 401k before the 4% company match. I paid off all my student loans last year. My car will be paid for in about eight months. Other than that, debt-free. I've got twenty dollars to $25,000 in savings, checking, and individual brokerage accounts combined. Okay. After closing on the house, I found way more things that I need to fix beyond what I saw when the house was staged. He writes, ha ha, that's not so ha ha. He's got two things that he's worried about. One, how much should I be saving towards a rainy day fund versus putting it towards home improvements? I want to do things like put in new flooring and paint uh, the second floor of the house. The more and more I see, the I, I understand the previous owner neglected certain things. I don't mind trying to do it myself. I was curious about what I should devote to improving my investment versus having cash in my bank account for a rainy day. Two. 
I know real estate is a good investment. I'm worried that there could be some pullback in home values, giving to the fact that the Fed may want to raise rates. Okay. This isn't my forever home. I probably see myself here for less than eight years. I'm worried about potentially being underwater on a mortgage if home values go down and how long I would need to stay in the home just to break even. Did I make a mistake buying in this market if it isn't a forever home? Side note, my real estate agent is reputable and said my offer was fair and not out of line for the property and she would have probably listed the home for a similar price. I've known her for about 10 years, so I don't think she would steer me wrong. Okay. 32 and single. What do you think about this, Mark? Yeah, I don't either. I don't think that this, I would not worry. I mean, even if it's eight years, that's a cycle, right? So even if things cratered, chances are you'd be fine. And it doesn't seem like you've made an unreasonable commitment relative to your income. So I think we're going to push number two aside, unless you're just like, oh, I hate being a homeowner. That's different, right? Because if all of a sudden you realize like, this sucks, I don't want to deal with it. Um, I don't want to do it myself. I don't want to hire anyone else to do it. I just don't want to do it. If that's the case, then I think you have a different decision to make. But presuming you like the house enough to stay in five, eight, or 10 years, then you can stick around. In terms of your rainy day fund versus home improvements, this is different. I think that what I'd like for you to be thinking about is that as you move forward, that, you know, it's sort of one in the same. You've got to figure out how much money you need to save for your home improvements, okay? And then what we would it certainly recommend is that you first have six to 12 months of your living expenses that's in the bank and then start saving in a home improvement account. And that's it. That's that's all I would do. I wouldn't, you know, you're, you know essentially what you could do is once that car is paid off in eight months, uh, take the $400 a month and make that the beginning of your home improvement fund. And that's that. I don't want you to make yourself crazy. You, you know, $1,200 a month. I don't know where what you could rent in your market for that. But I wouldn't be too, I don't know, I wouldn't be too worried about it. Yeah, Mark says, you know, one thing that I think a lot of young homeowners do is sometimes you think you have to do everything at once. And Mark's like, look, you could do one room at a time, okay? Just whittle it away, figure out the room that you want, where you spend the most time and knock it off one room at a time. Unless you're doing some big, you know, I have to do a whole bathroom or I have to do the kitchen, you know, but that's the, you know, talking about, if you're talking about paint and that kind of thing, it's just not going to be that big a deal. And so don't freak yourself out. It sounds like you're in just fine shape. And Hopefully, you know, you like it there and you, you end up saying that oh, this is there. You did it for a reason to begin with. I'm sure that that reason still exists. So let us know if there's more that you want to discuss. We're happy to do so with you. Okay, that's the end of the program. So more questions, more concerns, more advice for young homeowners. Just go to JillOnMoney.com, click the contact button, and we'll get your message. And don't forget to sign up for our free weekly newsletter. You can do that right on the website and subscribe to our sister podcast, Eye on Money. All right. Well, do me a favor and uh, remember that you can lift someone up today because it's going to make that person feel better. It's going to make you feel better. Our mantra here is grit, growth, grace with a dollop of gratitude. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Tomorrow. 